Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 12, and it'll be on the screen for you um, if you don't have a Bible. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, a very famous uh, passage. Now, also, what you might notice if you were here last week is you're noticing we're skipping a bit. So we're skipping the end of chapter 1, Jesus' birth. We're saving that for Christmas, okay? But I'm going to jump into chapter 2 and do a couple of bits on this in the lead-up as part of our Christmas series, and it'll still have that Christmas birth flavor, and you'll see some of the themes come out particularly strong today, and um, I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you as it has been to me this week as I've looked at it. Okay, so that's why we're skipping that little section. We'll come back to it on Christmas Day. All right, Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And that's a lie you'll see next week. He was trying to kill him. But anyway, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's quickly pray. Father God, uh, this happened so, so long ago, and yet you imprinted this into your living and active word that we might still read it today, and so there's still significance in it, and we know it's still true, and you are meaning to do something through these words on these pages about the birth of your Son. And we pray, Lord, that you do that this morning as we look at your word. Please speak to us, show us the wonders of Christmas and Jesus' birth afresh. As Ulrich was just saying, we, we become so dull to all of it and we often get consumed by the secular way that Christmas is used to spend lots of money. Please refocus us this morning, renew our hearts and, and remind us of the wonderful, life-giving, supernatural biblical truths behind a lot of the stuff that we see around at Christmas. And we pray that this might be just good for our souls and that we may rejoice with great joy just like these wise men and that ultimately you would be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today I want us to look at these three things. The shepherd, the star and the shock of Christmas. 
And you can picture it a bit like this. So the shepherd, the star, and the shock, which is in the nativity kind of scene. And as you go through the lead up uh, to Christmas, as we have been for a number of weeks and will continue to do so, you probably would have seen it something like this, you know. So there's the shepherd-like staff, the star at the top of our Christmas trees, and the nativity sets. Now the point is that these are key pictures that we associate with Christmas every year. But what do they mean? If anything, maybe they don't mean anything. And in our passage today, these are keys key truths too, and I'm hoping that we can understand their meaning as Matthew intends for us, and ultimately how God intends for us. And then, as we see these pictures in our homes, in the shopping centers, and everywhere we go pretty much at this time of the year, uh, I hope that we would be reminded of the wonderful biblical truths behind them, and, and, and experience Christmas in a way that people who don't know Jesus will not be experiencing it. So let's get stuck into it. Let's start with the shepherd. Now notice, it's not the shepherds, okay? It's the shepherd, singular. And we know from Luke's gospel that there were shepherds in the field nearby Bethlehem that, uh, uh, that an angel appeared to and many angels to tell them that Jesus has been born and that they could find him lying in a manger inside the city, wrapped in swaddling cloths. We're very familiar with that story. But Matthew doesn't even have that in his biography of Jesus. It's quite interesting, isn't it? And it's not because he's lying. (laughs) It's simply that he's choosing to exclude this information. It's just like you can have four different people, you know, drive past a car crash or describe a party, and they might all do it slightly differently. Depending on their background, depending on their, uh, their personality and how they think, They will notice different things about a particular scene. And not only that, they might choose as they share the story to share some things and not other things because they think these things are more important to what they're trying to convey to you. And that's what we have here with Matthew. It doesn't mean either that Matthew and Luke contradict each other. Oh, well, this one says this and this one doesn't. Something fishy is going on here. No, it doesn't mean that but simply that they are selective in what they share because of their original audience, who they wrote to, and as we saw last week, what it is that they're trying to teach us about Jesus. Now, Matthew, it seems, doesn't share about the shepherds because he doesn't want us to miss out, miss out on the shepherd, even though he doesn't look anything like a shepherd yet. And we see this shepherd mentioned in verse 6, right? As the scribes and the chief priests quote from chapter 5, to show the birthplace of the king of the Jews. Have a look there at verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this baby Jesus who's just been born in Bethlehem, uh, we see with this in verse 1, this baby will become the ruler who will shepherd God's people. Jesus is the shepherd king, if you like. He, um, he is the one born, the king of the Jews, as we see in verse 2. He is the one born, the Christ, as we see in verse 4. And that means simply that he is the promised, long-awaited, anointed king of God's people. And he will not rule with a heavy hand as, as the secular rulers and kings used to do it. No, he will rule like a shepherd. 
Now, this ties in quite well, I don't know if you've thought about this, with what we heard last week. Remember how Matthew opened up his biography of Jesus and he reminded us that he's the son of King David. Remember King David, who used to be a shepherd boy before he became the, the king of God's people. He was the shepherd king of God's people, and God loved that about David. So much so that God, in fact, says of David, he is a man after my own heart. You see, David's heart functioned like a shepherd, just like God's heart does. And, 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 and God loved that about him. And David knew, ultimately, that God is the ultimate shepherd. You know, he's the one, that's why he wrote Psalm 23, that says, the Lord is my shepherd, that we, that we um, read out earlier. So here in Jesus, we have someone from the kingly line of David. But more than that, he's actually the divine shepherd of Matthew 23, born to shepherd God's people. And those who knew their Bible would have picked that up from Matthew, I mean, from Micah 5 that's been quoted. I'll, I'll share a little bit more of you because this is what you often see in the, in the New Testament especially. But in the Bible, they might quote a little bit uh, and they often refer to the whole chapter or the whole section. And people, because they knew their Bible so well, because they didn't have it written, but they'd memorized it, would remember all of the themes associated with a particular quote. So they probably would have thought of all of this. Have a look at this. So the first bit there is what the bit that's quoted in our passage. So, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So that's the bit that was quoted. But listen to the rest. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So this guy's already lived and now is being born. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Did you notice the shepherd king born in Bethlehem to rule God's people? Well, his coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. We, we actually have a song we sing here called Ancient of days, and it's all about our God who has no beginning of days. He has, he has always existed from the beginning, from before the beginning of time, before any days were created, from ancient days, He has always been. And that God that has always been will be born in Bethlehem and shepherd His people. That's what this passage tells us, and what the people would have thought who were reading Matthew's gospel, who were predominantly Jews. And so Jesus is that divine shepherd king. That's what Matthew's trying to show us. Jesus is the divine shepherd king, the one in the line of David. He is the shepherd of Christmas. Now also, did you see there at the end um, why we need Jesus the shepherd? He's the one that will be our peace. Okay, because you might wonder, man, why is, you know, we're living in 2021, why is this guy up here talking about a shepherd? I've never even seen one, I don't even know why they exist. Why do I even need a shepherd over myself or, or for us even? And the answer is because we're not at peace without one. We're not at peace without one. And we see this just with us as people, as human beings in general, throughout the Bible, Think about who God used to bring his people out of Egypt. God used a shepherd called Moses. 
to lead his people out of Egypt, where they certainly didn't experience peace. You know that, right? And we forget that Moses was a shepherd. So when he left Egypt, when he fled, he was a shepherd for 40 years before God called him back. And it prepared him very well to lead God's people away from the oppression of Pharaoh. And then we have David, of course, a bit later, who particularly gave God's people rest and peace from their enemies. You know, just like David used to fight off animals, wild animals, um, uh, to protect his own sheep, his dad's sheep, so he also fought off the enemies of God's people who were attacking them. It started with Goliath, but there were many more battles to the point where people shouted, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And remember how that ticked Saul off because David had done more than him and people were loving him more. But much of what we hear of David in the beginning is him going from battle to battle to battle, fighting off enemies that are attacking them from everywhere. And he's having so much victory everywhere he goes. It seems so clear that God is with him. That was the way that he shepherded God's people particularly. And then we have the leaders of God's people described as shepherds in Ezekiel 34 that Ulrich shared with us. They had more of a spiritual role. They were to feed God's people his word. They were to strengthen the weak with God's truth. They were to uh, heal the sick with God's words of forgiveness and grace and restoration. The injured they had to bind up with the promises of God to remind them uh, of those. The scattered they had to call back and, and the lost they had to pursue with God's call to come. That was more of their role. But the leaders didn't shepherd the sheep, but instead they preyed on them. And sadly, that still happens in churches today. And that's why it's so important that we pick the right people. But anyway, these leaders took advantage of the sheep instead of looking out for them. They, in fact, were just looking out for themselves. And this left God furious as his people were scattered, they were scared, and they were searching for peace and life. And so he made this promise in Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Where have I heard that before? That sounds like the day Jesus died on the cross, when it went dark from noon till 3 p.m., There on the cross, he rescued God's scattered sheep, didn't he? The ones who were scared and searching. There he gave them peace with God, peace over death, peace over the fact that that their, their wrongs and all of their sins will never be counted against them. Peace of the fact that they know for sure that God loves them dearly. And peace about their futures. That's what Jesus, the good shepherd, did that day on the cross when he laid down his life for the sheep. And that's why we need him. He said that, right? I am the good shepherd that lays down my life for the sheep. Now, listen, I'd love to talk more about this. uh, But for today, it's more about the birth of this shepherd, the shepherd of Christmas.
And I want to encourage you to keep coming to the series as we keep going through Matthew's gospel and you will see Jesus the shepherd at work. You will see him on his knees caring for the sheep. You will see his heart go out as he just as he just feels for them. I love one of those passages where Jesus just looks over the crowd and it says he had compassion on them. You will see the shepherd in all of his beauty. And especially if you're here today and you don't know if you trust this Jesus, but you're open to investigate him, keep coming, please. He wants to be your peace. He wants to be your shepherd. Come and check him out and see what God does with it. So that's the shepherd of Christmas. The second one is the star of Christmas. Now we've got this weird star appearing, right, at Jesus' birth. And then, and then it leads some men all the way from their country, which is like east of Jerusalem, all the way to Jerusalem, and then even further to Bethlehem. And then it stays, it kind of stops over this house or this place where baby Jesus was lying and where he was present. And I don't know if you know this, but this is not normal, Okay. This is not normal. Stars don't do stuff like this. Uh, when, we, when we lie down, you know, when you go out further out of the city and you stare up into this, this, this kind of stars, you don't see stuff like this happen. And, and I know when our kids were born at Armadale Hospital, I didn't see any stars there and no one was led there through it. This is not normal. And I'm not making something big out of something small. I don't think that is something I was thinking of. Because this star is mentioned not just once, but multiple times in verses 2, 7, 9, and 10. And it actually plays a key part in these men uh, being led to this newly born shepherd king. Now, I read a commentator this week talk about this star, and um, he was going on and on about these two particular dates around when Jesus was born. And there was this phenomena that happened where three stars were lining up. And that is how we know this is really true. And so blah, 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 blah. I almost fell asleep at my desk. It was so convincing. You know, I mean, just this week, I don't know if you noticed this, the lady that I've got on Facebook posted a photo of these three stars that were aligning. Okay, Google it, Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus uh, are aligning, and it actually will for most of December, so you can see it at night time. So Google it, lots of people have posted photos of it online, but you know what? They don't do what this star in Matthew 2 did, because it's not normal. The only explanation for this star in our passage is supernatural. What happened is not a natural phenomena. Don't try and think through that lens because you will be hitting your head against the wall. But something out of this world has happened. And a part of the reason I want us to look at this is because there are lots of supernatural and abnormal things that happen around Jesus at birth and in fact for his whole life. As you read the first two chapters of Matthew, it's very abnormal. Mary falls pregnant without sleeping with her husband. (laughs) An angel appears to Joseph and then says that the Holy Spirit is responsible for this pregnancy. Just imagine uh, saying that to her parents, you know. They're just going to go, oh yeah, that's quite normal. No, it's not. Then you've got this weird star and you've got many more angels appearing in dreams throughout these chapters multiple times. Not to mention what we know about the other 
Gospels. You know, angels are physically appearing to shepherds and, and to Jesus and John's mum and parents. Uh, it's just like watching something from Harry Potter, right? Um, it's, except this actually happened. That's the difference. Now, I often hear people say, hey, I believe, in Je- I believe Jesus really existed. It's, you know, you can't deny that, even though there's some people that do do that. But others say that he actually existed. He lived on this earth. He was a great teacher. I believe that. But I can't believe all the miracles. It's just not normal. <laughs> and I wonder as I listen to them, if they think that us Christians think that this is normal. You know, that, that we see virgins fall pregnant all the time. And that we, we see blind people just get their sight back all the time. Or, or lame people just get up all of a sudden and grab them. Oh, look at this. You know, do they think we think this is normal? It's not. But what, what do we normally do with abnormal things? What do we do with abnormal things? Do we simply ignore them and say, well, they can't be true because they're not normal? Uh, you know, what do you do when a light flashes on your car dashboard that's not normally on? Or, or what do you do when a child starts screaming in the middle of the night that normally sleeps through the night? Or what do you do when your dog, who always seems to be sleeping and eating your food and that's all they do, all of a sudden starts barking profusely in the middle of the night? Well, in all of those cases, you go check it out, don't you? You investigate it. It's not normal. Something weird's going on. Let's check it out. Precisely because it is not normal. And that is, I think, part of the point of what happens with Jesus, is God is trying to wake us up and say, hey, this is not normal. Something amazing is happening here. Something amazing that I am doing. Now, the men that followed the star were open to the supernatural, and God used that star to lead them to his son, the shepherd king of the world. These men were not part of God's people. They were from a country to the east, They were not Jews. They were not even living in the promised land. But God works supernaturally to bring people who are far off near to His Son. And God is powerfully working to bring the nations to His King. That's what we see. And again, you should hear that and think, that reminds me of last week, right? Remember, we saw Jesus is the son of Abraham, as he was the son of David as well. And how God promised to Abraham that through his lineage, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And here we have the beginning of that promise being fulfilled. As people from the nations come to meet Jesus, the son of Abraham, and they rejoice and they worship him. Now, you know, as you watch the star on your Christmas tree, remember God works supernaturally to bring people to his king and into his kingdom. He did it back then and he's still doing it today. So invite people along to church, especially if they're open to doing this over Christmas uh, and pray even that God would show you the spiritual unseen and supernatural truths and beauty of Christmas and the Christmas story that perhaps have become a bit dull and boring and normal to you. And if you're the type, maybe you're here today and you're the type of person that only comes to church around Christmas and Easter uh, and you're thinking, oh, 
every time I come to church, it's so weird. All this abnormal stuff. And, and, and so it cannot be real. I just cannot believe it. Well, can I ask you to investigate this abnormal Jesus? Don't just dismiss him. You know, if, if you really want to, there are pages and pages of the Bible that's plain and normal. And most of Christianity is actually very plain and normal. To many people, surprise. Have you heard that? If you tell if uh, someone's met you as a Christian and then after a while they say, man, you're actually quite normal and real. I know. It's very plain and normal to be a Christian. But in Jesus, God was doing something supernatural to make us sit up at the edge of our seat and take notice. So if this is you, do that. Take notice and see where it takes you. All right, so we've looked at the shepherd and the star of Christmas, and then lastly, the shock of Christmas. And Ulrich's kind of touched on this a little bit already. Every year we see the nativity scenes all around us, don't we? You don't just see it at church. Often they're in our homes. Um, we haven't tried that with our young kids. I think they would just ruin it all the time. But anyway, maybe they're in your homes. You see them at the shops, just all around you. And it's often being used for promotion, right, of the festive season. And I wonder if because of this familiarity of baby Jesus, you know, in, in the manger, uh, on the hay, in a feeding trough, surrounded by his parents, surrounded by, you know, the animals and the, the, the shepherds and the wise men on the camels with the star up the top. I wonder if we've forgotten the shock of that picture. For Jews reading Matthew's gospel, and they are his primary audience, they would have picked up on it very, very quickly, right at the beginning in the first verse, in fact, and we'll get to that. But most of us can get some sort of idea. Look, look for example, at verse 11. And so the, the wise men, they're going into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Did you notice something shocking there? How Joseph isn't mentioned? When they saw Jesus, he was with his mother. There's no mention of his father. Now, for us, we know the reason behind Jesus' birth and that Joseph wasn't his biological father. But my guess is most people would have seen Jesus' birth as illegitimate. He would have been an illegitimate child. We know the Pharisees later on in, in John's Gospel in chapter 8, they mock him and say, we're not, one of the, we're not an illegitimate child like you. And so that's what people thought. And so as we see Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus, you know, in our little nativity scene. Uh, don't forget how they would have felt. Maybe the shame, despite knowing the truth, because they would know how people's perceiving it and how people would have been shocked by what they perceived to have happened. And that's not the only shock. There's also the fact that they're in Bethlehem. Um, as you can see in verse 6, Bethlehem was considered the least of the town's in that region. Now think of um, when Prince William and Kate, you know, from England, when they had their children recently, where did they have them? They were in one of the best hospitals in London, the capital city where Buckingham Palace is, right? They weren't out in the sticks doing like a home birth, you know, in one of the sheds on the farm with some animals around and just horrible hygiene. No. They weren't doing that. Gee, their child is royalty. They've got to be treated like that. But Jesus was royalty. But his birth was in Bethlehem, some backwater town. 
that wasn't very popular. And it must have been a huge shock. But the biggest shock, probably, of this passage is the wise men in our story. And I haven't really noticed it until this this year, to be honest. Some Bible translations call them the Magi, or the Magi. I don't know, that's how I used to say it, but I think it's my South African accent. The Magi. You know, that's pretty much a transliteration of the word in the original language pronounced the Magoi. And so the translations that go with Magi uh, is probably doing that because it's quite hard to translate this word because it can have lots of different meanings. It can refer to lots of different things like astrology where people are studying the stars and, and trying to tell you your star sign. I don't know if they still do it on the radio. I remember about 10 years ago when we moved here, you know, when you were driving or 92.9 or whatever, they'd say, you know, like Virgo, you know, you're going to have a great day and Capricorn and Aquarius. And that's, that's the stuff that this could be referring to. It could also refer to, you know, people like palm readers that are trying to tell you something that you don't know that they do. Uh, or people that are staring into crystal balls to tell you your future. And as you can tell from the word magi, that's where we get our word magic from, or magician. And so it also has this kind of magical, wizard-like, Harry Potter-like meaning. And the magi would have claimed to be able to access the supernatural through various uh, rituals and so on. And, and it's interesting, once you realize that, you, you, you also see them throughout the Bible. You, you see these types of magi in Egypt as Moses and Aaron. Remember when they went in, they dropped their sticks and they turned into snakes and all these things. Even with the initial ten plagues, there were these um, wise men that Pharaoh used to call on to and say, well, you guys copy them to show them that their God is not impressive, that we can do it too. And, and they do it for a while and then they give up. And God just leaves them in the rearview mirror as he powerfully displays these wonderful acts that they cannot imitate. We also find similar magi in Daniel where, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, when he had these dreams and uh, he reaches out to all these wise men and he says, uh, you know, interpret them. He does this weird thing where he says, I want you to tell me my dream and interpret it for me. And they're like, well, how are we meant to do that? He said, well, you guys are, you know, all magical and you can look into the future. Come on. And then ultimately Daniel says, I can do it. And he does it. And he tells them that that it is the God of Israel that's done it for him and revealed it to him. It's not himself. Point being, these magi-like people throughout the Bible actually stand in opposition to God and the truth about him. And so it comes as no surprise that they're actually excluded and expelled from God's people as we see. Have a look here in Deuteronomy 18. Um, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And you know what? These are the people that God supernaturally leads to his newborn shepherd king. Who would have thought? They aren't Jewish by ethnicity. They're not Jewish converts. They don't even live in the land of the Jews, probably because of that verse. They are banned from partaking in life with God's people. And yet, with the birth of Jesus, God brings them in. 
In Jesus, we see God's love reaching further than we could ever have imagined. We see Jesus is for all people, even the outcast, even the rejects. It doesn't matter how far you think you've drifted or how far away you are or how unworthy you are or how sinful or how much shame you've got. God wants to bring you in through Jesus. And we see it right here at his birth. That's the shock, or shall I say shocks, of Christmas. You should think about next time you see the nativity scene. No one thinks about it, do they, when they walk past Carousel and there's lots of these. But make sure you do. Make sure the Bible shapes how you view these things. It's shockingly beautiful, though, that God is happy and willing and able to bring people from far away up close to his son. Now, let me finish like this. Here's the question as we finish. How will you respond to Jesus this Christmas? How will you respond to Jesus this Christmas? From our passage, we can be like one of the three groups in the story. Okay, You can be like King Herod, who feels that Jesus is a threat to his kingdom and his power. And so he does everything that he can to get rid of him, to destroy him. He lies about worshipping him so he can get information. He's troubled about Jesus' authority and power. Doesn't that blow your mind? It's like a newborn baby, and this guy's scared of him. You know, he's troubled by it. And next week, we'll see how he even goes as far as killing a bunch of innocent children in the attempt to get rid of Jesus. You can try what Herod tried, and you will tire yourself fighting the king of kings who has supernatural powers that you just cannot match. I wouldn't suggest that one. But you can have a go if you want. That's one way to respond. Or you could be like the chief priests and the scribes that Herod gets in to find out where the king of the Jews will be born. And I think, to be honest, for us in church that hear this story year in, year out, this could probably be the trap that we're most likely to fall into. You see, these scribes and chief priests, they tell Herod exactly where the king was to be born. They quote from the Bible. Gee, they know their Bibles. They heard something special about a star. They're thinking, yeah, we know about Numbers 24. It's talking about a star that's coming out of Judah. And they have all the info in their head. But they can't be bothered to pursue Jesus. They're happy for him to be intellectually stimulating. But they don't want him as their king. And to these people, Jesus later says, Uh, In John 5, we read this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Don't fall into the trap of doing that. Lastly, you can be like the sinful and seeking magi. Be open to the supernatural. Be, be open to being shaped by God's word. Don't forget that that's what happened to them. They went and heard these chief priests and Pharisees and they go, oh, we're going to listen to that. We're going to listen to God's word and be open to pursuing Jesus. And when you find him, rejoice in him like these guys did and worship him. Be open to give him gifts from your treasures. Don't you find that amazing? Jesus hasn't done anything for these men. Nothing. And they're opening up their treasures and giving gifts to him. 
How often do we hear people say, well, if Jesus does this, then I will do this. Nothing has been done to them and they're giving of their treasures to him. Did you notice they're not giving him some leftover food from the long journey? They're not giving him some pocket change from their last servo stopover. No, they're taking their treasures out. Some of their most important valuables that they didn't even want to leave back home. And they're giving gifts to Jesus because he is of more value than their treasure. How much more should we be giving of our treasures living after the cross and having received so much from Jesus, our good shepherd? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are indeed good. We thank you so much that you are the good shepherd that we see in Psalm 23, that we see promised to us in Ezekiel 34, and that you came and that you were good and you loved people, you had compassion on them, you looked at people and you saw them as sheep without a shepherd and you took it upon yourself to be their shepherd and you went and laid down your life for the sheep. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice, that your sheep would hear your voice, they would come and be part of your fold. We know that you are to rule over God's people. Help us to make sure we're part of that people, to be part of that flock, and to have you lead us, care for us, and shape us. And Lord, especially we pray through uh, this period, and as we head into Christmas, and even Christmas, that some of these pictures that we've looked at this morning would be particularly powerful for us, and have much deeper significance and biblical truths coming forth from them into our hearts, Lord, as we've heard this morning. Please use even those things as we um, meditate on those truths and as we use them to teach our children. Please, Lord, uh, may it be a blessed time. May it be a time of peace as we know the peace that you have secured for us. Lead us, we pray. Bring many to come to know you in a supernatural way as you did with the with these Magi-like people. We know you're still doing it, and we pray that you might do it even again this year and in the coming days. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.